I just remember my heart hurting in a way that I hadn't felt mm-hmm. in a really long time. It's, it's interesting because I couldn't, at the time, I couldn't even express the way that I was feeling. It was just, I physically felt hurt. There was a bunch of chaos. The meet was delayed, I think, at one point because of the controversy. Welcome to Champions Mojo Weekly Podcast, where your hosts Kelly Palace and Maria Parker share with you what it takes to be a champion. Kelly is a former Division I head swim coach, Olympic trials qualifier, and holds Masters World and National Swimming Records, and Maria holds world records in endurance cycling, and was the overall women's winner of the world's toughest bike race, Race Across America. They'll be sharing their personal stories and wisdom, along with interviewing other champions to give you the tools you need for becoming a true champion in your own life. And now, your host, Kelly Palace. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast, where today we'll be talking with one of the USA's toughest swim stars and a member of our national team, Ella Easton. Ella is undoubtedly one of America's top swimmers, having earned 12 NCAA titles, and in 2019 was the first woman to four-peat by winning the grueling 400 IM all four of her years at Stanford, while helping Stanford win the NCAA overall title for the last three years of her career. Now Ella is a professional swimmer. She's sponsored by Arena and a member of the LA Current Professional Swim Team. Before we bring Ella in, I want to say hello to my co-host, Maria Parker. Hi, Maria. Hi, Kelly. I'm really looking forward to talking with Ella today, an athlete who obviously thrives on challenging events and overcoming obstacles. And I'd like to give our listeners a bit more background on Ella before we chat with her. While Ella's swimming resume is top-notch, it hasn't always been smooth sailing for her. In 2017, in what could be deemed as her breakout long course swim, which qualified her for the world championship team, later turned into a disqualification for something known as the Lochte rule. Then in 2018, again, when it was time to earn her spot on the 2019 world championship team, Ella came down with mono and had a subpar performance at the world team trials. But now Ella is healthy and swimming great and has patiently been been waiting to make her first Olympic team. We're really looking forward to talking with this champion, Ella Easton. Absolutely, Maria. Then without further delay, let's welcome Ella to the show. Ella, great to have you here. Welcome to Champions Mojo. Yes, Ella, welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk to both of you. Um, I've been looking forward to this, and I hope that through um, our conversation, we can uh, share and encourage from all of our experiences. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Ella. Well, why don't you start by telling us about your current um, training, where you are, and what you've been doing since you completely dominated the NCAAs uh, and graduated from Stanford? Absolutely. So I am still at Stanford. I couldn't get away. It's my favorite place in the world. And I decided that it was going to be the best place for me to continue to train uh, with the wonderful team and coaches um, and staff that I have 
here at Stanford as I prepare for the Olympic trials in June of next year. I am living um, in Palo Alto, so right down the street, and am enjoying being around campus and on campus with without the normal student athlete hectic schedule. Uh, I have been lucky enough to uh, be able to set my schedule a little bit differently this year and I'm only going to be in one class to keep myself busy. I I love school and I decided that that was something that I didn't want to give up right away even though I graduated in June. I'm going to be continuing to do research with one of my professors um, and work towards my professional career um, for the future while I continue to swim. But right now my, my focus is my training and recovering and, and enjoying being up in the Bay Area. Tell us about your research. So I am beginning an independent study where I'm looking at the effects of access to contraception and interpregnancy intervals, which is the time between a woman's live birth and a subsequent conception and its effects on pregnancy and birth outcomes. So it's a little multifaceted, but a question that is still unanswered in in multiple ways. And I'm going to take large data sets and kind of look observationally at, at the data and see if there's any associations that haven't been found yet based on long acting contraception and to see if preterm birth or different adverse outcomes, birth outcomes are affected. Hmm. You must be good at statistics. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. So your degree I read is in human biology. And what are you, what do you want to do with that and that research? So after I'm done swimming, I am going to attend a graduate nursing program. My grandma, who has been a nurse for over 50 years, is uh, someone that I would call my, my biggest role model. Um, she's a beautiful person, a brilliant person, and showed me the wonderful side of nursing that is something that I've been attracted to since I was young because of her influence over me. And I decided that that was a profession that I wanted to pursue because of the flexibility and the options that it provides. Um, Nursing exists in many places and in many health settings, and um, it will give me flexibility in my professional career and will continue to challenge me as I'll be forced to continue to learn throughout my time as a nurse. Um, And I'm interested in continuing to do research even while I practice. And so that was something that I decided I wanted to continue to do after I was done finishing my degree at Stanford to continue to get experience and to keep my mind going and give me another part of my life that I had something that would challenge me and excite me. Very nice. Very nice. That is so cool. Yeah. So you definitely have the next year kind of blocked out for great training and and it's good to keep you keep your mind a little distracted with something else besides just swimming. Do you find that helps you? Absolutely. I think my best seasons of swimming have actually been in my busiest seasons of life. I find that having balance is really important. And especially for me, I like to 
leave the pool proud of what I've accomplished, but move on to the next thing that, that I'm excited about and try to have goals um, set for me in, in other areas of my life. And school is something that I always love to have as a part of my experience at Stanford. It was actually probably the thing that helped me stay excited about swimming as well, because I always had something else to be focusing on. And not that I don't want to be focusing on swimming, but I think that having something else in your life to remind you that there is more to life than, than swimming in sports is really valuable and has actually allowed me to be excited about this last part of my swimming career. Not sure exactly how long this last part will last, but I know that one day I, I will be moving on and having something that I'm passionate about and excited about is definitely a blessing. And I think that as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate all the areas of my life and not just put all my attention on my swimming. I, I have to ask, do, when you're when you're being a scientist, do they do they know that you're a star swimmer? And and then when you're being a swimmer, do they know that you're an amazing scientist or do those do those worlds inter- intersect at all? I don't know if I would consider myself a scientist at this point. I think that I did well in school and was a great student. And I think that I would still define myself as a student as learning, no matter what the environment is, is one of my priorities and something that I love. I definitely have had a little bit of notoriety around Stanford. The community is really small and everyone knows each other. And the best part about it also is that everyone is really supportive. And a lot of my professors will send me congratulatory emails and uh, mention something in class when I were to come in after after a successful weekend or a meet. Um, So I always felt supported uh, in both ways. And it was also great knowing that I was in an athletic department that supported academic achievement. And so, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't that I was the only one doing that. I'm surrounded by a ton of people who succeed in their academics far farther than I even did. And it was always inspiring to be around athletes that were in love with what they did on the athletic field, but also in the classroom. And speaking of that, who is in your training group? So you're swimming for Greg, right? Greg Meehan, the Stanford women's coach, right? Yes. And who else is in your post-grad training group? Currently, it's me and Katie Ledecky and Simone Manuel. So I have pretty good company. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Then we are lucky enough to get to um, often train with the college team as well. Yeah, so I bet that's that's just an awesome training environment. And like you said, you're you're surrounded by people that are ex- succeeding and exceeding expectations in in many fields. Ella, we don't want to dwell on it, but just we want to know like how you got through the past two summers where you had the ridiculous disqualification. I'm just going to say it, you know, people know I was a D1 coach and I think that that Lochte rule, which for, we do have non-swimmers that listen and Maria, you, you don't, I'm sure you don't even know what the Lochte rule is. I know it has something to be something about being on your back too long underwater or something. Yeah. Which is, it doesn't give a swimmer, in my opinion, any advantage. It's just kind of a arbitrary rule. I think it's not like 
Ella got a, an advantage. It's just, I just think it's ridiculous. And anyway, I saw the video and it didn't even look like you were on your back, but we're not going to go there. So um, <laughs> even though we just went there. <laughs> no, but I'm saying we're, I'm not going to ask you whether you thought you were on your back or not. I don't want to go down that road. But so you were disqualified. You, you thought you made the world team. Everybody thought you made it. You placed like you did. And then you got the DQ. Then when the trials come around for the 2019 world championship they were actually in 2018 and that's when you got mono yes yeah so so back to back kind of tough things you know obstacles as some people would say so what what got you through this and what went through your mind and how how did you how did you deal with such disappointment yeah i think i can share a little bit about my uh, version of the story. So finishing my 400 IM at 2017 World Championship Trials, I could see that I was in second. There was not a, I did not believe that there was a chance that I was not going to touch second during that race. I looked around with 15 meters to go and saw Leah Smith ahead of me, but I didn't see anybody close enough. And I wasn't going to let anybody catch me at that point. I felt a rush of adrenaline at the end of that race, mostly out of excitement, knowing that I had set out to do something and I was finishing what I had set out to do. In a sense, I touched the wall, huge sense of relief, joy, pride, all of those things I felt. I, I went over to the lane line and saw Elizabeth Beisel who had come in third and she gave me a huge hug. She is someone that I've been looking up to since I was eight years old. She gave me a hug and told me that she was passing on that IM torch. And I think that was probably one of the proudest moments of my career. I felt validated by somebody who I thought the world of, and that is something that I'm never going to forget. We were hugging and she she pulled away, looked at the board, and uh, was the one to kind of break the news. She's like, Ella, you, you need to look at the scoreboard. And I look over, and my name was no longer in the second place position. It was at the bottom, and it had said that I was disqualified. I was in utter disbelief. I was in shock. I didn't know what to do. Um, I didn't know what I was disqualified for. Before that day, I did not even know that the Lochte rule existed. I had never heard of it. Um, I didn't know that when I was swimming, I was doing something that was quote unquote wrong. Um, I got out of the pool. No one, I don't even remember an official coming over to tell me that I was disqualified. I, all I did was walk straight to the warm down pool and fell to the floor and started crying. And I, I curled up in a ball and now I look back at it and I just remember my heart hurting in a way that I hadn't felt mm -hmm. in a really long time. It's, it's interesting because I couldn't, at the time, I couldn't even express the way that I was feeling. It was just, I physically felt hurt. There was a bunch of chaos. The meet was delayed, I think, at one point because of the controversy. Um, another swimmer in the heat was also disqualified for the same rule. And uh, the rest of that meet is kind of a blur. I spent two or three days preparing for the 200 IM, which was going to be my last opportunity to make the team and spent every ounce of energy that I had thinking about what I had gone through. I wasn't thinking about the controllables and I wasn't doing what I 
should have been to prepare for that race. But all I did was worry. And I put the pressure on myself saying that you, you did it once and you deserve to be on that team. So you're just going to have to go and do it. And there's no other option. And I spent so much energy. I spent so much energy preparing for, for something that I wasn't necessarily going to be able to control. And I went out and got third in that race and finished right behind somebody who had qualified for the team. And I walked up to the podium and tried to hold myself together. I did my very best to, to be poised on the podium. I didn't want to look upset because third was something that I was still very proud of finishing behind Melanie Margalis and Madison Cox, who I also love and respect and was excited for them to have that opportunity. And I was presented my medal for third place from Steve Furness, who was the owner of tier at one point, but a close family friend. And it was a, it was a reminder of, you know, you have all these people in your life that love and care about you and want you to succeed, but also hurt for you. And I got a huge hug from him as I, I stood up there with my, with my third place. And all I could think about was wanting to be with my family and being reminded that this wasn't the end of the world, but I still was in so much pain. And I spent the rest of that summer really upset and really bitter. And I took some time off and really questioned whether it was something that I wanted to continue to do. The sport is relentless and whether, whether you have an easier path, I guess no one has an easy path, but whether it's easier or harder, the sport, the sport is hard. I, I, I compare it to the 400 IM in the sense that no matter how you do the 400 IM, it's going to be painful and it's going to be difficult. But every time you do it and you finish, it's something to be proud of. And this sport is kind of a reflection of that. And luckily I got the opportunity to go to the World University Games at the end of that summer. And I had a blast. I met so many people who were swimming in college and were my age and were sharing so many experiences. And I got to meet a bunch of new friends that I love and cherish and have strong relationships with now. And that acted as a reminder of why I continue to do the sport, no matter what level I was swimming at. And that was something I was still very proud of. I was captain of that team and got to share so many memories with um, a lot of my teammates and was excited for the next summer. So um, that was 2017. And then, then mono and 2018 had the best college meet of my life. Um, I had won all three of my races, set multiple American records that year and was really excited after that meet about long course. I switched my focus to long course and got ready for pan pack trials, which also was a qualification meet for world championship trial or world championships the next summer. And three weeks before that meet, I felt a little bit off and I went to the doctor and got a phone call two hours later. And my doctor told me that I had mono. Hmm. I didn't know what to do. Once again, I didn't know how to express what I was feeling other than the fact that I was once again in pain. I was confused. I didn't know why it was happening. I didn't know what the reason for all of it was. And I, I still can't put an exact finger on it, but I know that all of this has prepared me to deal with difficult things that come my way. And 
learning to have faith that there's a plan for all of this and learning to lean on people in my life that care about me no matter what what my time is in a certain race or whatever place I come in and whatever whatever happens to me in my swimming career it at the end of the day it's about the people that I'm with and the people that support me and I wasn't able to swim until a couple days before nationals which in the swimming world is unheard of you don't take that much time off at the end of the season much much less right before a championship meet qualification and I swam just well enough to qualify for pan packs that year um actually went a best time a couple weeks later at pan packs I honestly don't know how that had happened but I learned that my body maybe needed rest it needed time to recover and put itself back together and although I was sick I was mentally still 100% invested and determined to prove myself and after my pan pack performance I still had not swam fast enough to qualify for world championships the next year and once again was disappointed I knew that I had qualified for world university games though and had an amazing experience the year before and so I still had international racing to look forward to it wasn't ideal but I also had my senior year of college coming up and that was something that I was extremely excited for and was not going to be upset. I refused to let something that had bothered me get in the way of experiencing Stanford for the very last year and experiencing a senior year as a student at the most wonderful university I could ever have imagined to attend. And I spent that year preparing for World University Games and eventually got a phone call a couple days before I left for World University Games that Kathleen Baker had decided that she wasn't going to swim the 200 IM anymore. And I was, I was the first phone call as I was the next in line for that race. And another moment of shock, this time it was complete disbelief that I was being given an opportunity versus an opportunity being taken away from me. And I accepted the spot and the rest is history. Uh, this summer was, was interesting, but I guess my second chance was a reminder that good things do happen to those who are determined and have a little bit of patience. That's perfect because, of course, the theme of the show is patience. And Ella, I can tell that you're a, an extremely emotional person. Your description of your heart hurting is very beautiful and evocative. And also your description of your of your being thrilled at opportunity. So when we think of patience, we often think of somebody who's sort of long suffering and you're not. You're just learning about the about what happens in life. But can you talk about I think you've referred to your setbacks as speed bumps, <laughs> which they seem like a little bit more than speed bumps to me. But can you talk about what you've learned about patience and what maybe what our listeners can learn from your experience? Yes, absolutely. I think when I think about my experience with the sport of swimming, I think about the idea of delayed gratification. That's something that you have to learn as, as a child, you work towards something and it doesn't come to you right away. And I think that through what has happened to me in the sport, 
Um, delayed gratification is something that I've accepted and embraced. Everything that I have worked for, I know that it is worth it. And one day I will have a performance or a moment, um, whether that's even related to a swimming race. I know that whatever I put into this sport, it is eventually going to come around and positively have a presence in my life. I know that there are times where it's extremely hard to see that what you're doing is helping you work towards your goal. It's actually funny because I think in my everyday life, I'm a very impatient person. And that's something that I've definitely tried to work on. My mom used to joke when I was a kid, she said, don't pray for patience because all God's going to do is put things in your life that, that test your patience because that's the only way that you can learn to be patient. And I think that that's definitely been true in that I've had difficult moments and obstacles and speed bumps are a good way to represent that because speed bumps aren't barriers that you can't get over. Speed bumps are just things that cause you to slow down and either make an adjustment with what you're doing or or you try to fly over them. And often that's not necessarily the best way to keep going. So Ella, you choose to swim the 400 IM and the 200 fly, which are two of the most grueling events in the swimming lineup. And for those listeners that don't know what a 400 IM is, it is 100 of each stroke. So you start out with the butterfly, 100 then you go to backstroke for 100, then breaststroke for 100, and then freestyle. So these, the people that swim the 400 IM are very incredibly versatile. They also have great endurance, and there is a element of pain to switching strokes, you know, at, on the fly, as we call it, that is just, you, you don't get it in any other race. So the 200 IM obviously has it, but it's much shorter. So the 400 IM combines that multiple stroke skill set with endurance. And that is what Ella is a master at. However, there's a lot of pain involved. And so we've got to hear from you, Ella, what, how you deal with the pain, but what your most painful 400 IM is and, and how that occurred. Yes. So I, over the years have learned to embrace the pain of the 400 IM. I think once you get over that hurdle, the race itself is a lot easier to attack mentally. My least painful 400 IMs have been the one where I've been in a mindset where I've accepted that it's going to be painful and have prepared myself for that um, along with being physically prepared. But my most painful 400 IMs are, are the ones that I've learned the most from and also have maybe not been in such a prepared mental state. I'll bring us back to the 2016 Olympic trials prelims of the 400 individual medley. This was my first race at this Olympic trials, my first time swimming at an Olympic trials where I had the goal of making the Olympic team. My coach had always told me, Make sure that you swim your races as if you would swim them in any other meet. This is just another swim meet. And although there are cameras and lights and 
a lot of pressure surrounding this meet, you must swim your races as if this were your very first time swimming the 400 IM or in a dual meet or in any other setting that isn't as stressful. And of course my adrenaline kicked in right when I dove in and I essentially sprinted my first hundred of, of the 400 IM went out in the fastest I ever had in that butterfly leg and really paid for it later. I did my very best to keep my kick light on my backstroke to not tax my legs too early in the race. But once I hit the 200 mark, it felt like my body was falling apart. My muscles weren't working as, as I wanted them to. Um, my oxygen was seemed to be very low. I had the burning sensation in my legs and in my lungs um, earlier than I normally feel it. I tried to stick with my stroke count. So the number of strokes that I take each lap, but the number was higher than I had wanted it to be, um, which was a reflection of how strong I was on each of my strokes. And that was deteriorating as I continued to swim through the race. Um, I got to the freestyle and was in an okay position in the heat, swam as hard as I could but was completely distracted by the amount of stress that I was putting my body under because I swam the race so poorly. <laughs> and I finished and I touched the wall. Um, I remember barely being able to get out of the pool and almost falling down the stairs down off of the pool deck after the race was over. Um, interestingly enough, I finished ninth in prelims and only the top eight prelim swimmers qualify for the final, which I think looking back was a blessing in disguise that I didn't have to put myself through another uh, 400 IM. I had a little bit of time to recover before I did the 200, but that was definitely one of the top three most painful races I have ever swam. Hmm. So coming into that trials, you had won the NCAA title in the 400 IM that March, correct? Yes. One of the things I wanted to talk with you about, because you know now you are one of the big names. I mean, like when Ella Easton is, when your name comes up, it's like, I'm sure it strikes fear into your competitors' hearts, you know? And you said, I read that you were intimidated by the big names that were at the 2016 Olympic trials. And so I, I want to ask you, now you're one of the big names, and can you talk about how you've transitioned your confidence from that trials to now being the big name? I I think it's funny because I don't I still don't consider myself a big name. I think that I have certain performances behind me that that give me credibility, but I haven't yet achieved what I've wanted to in long course in order to see myself in that way. Um, that's definitely something that I'm working through. I think that I am always still building my confidence. I have a lot of reasons to be confident when I, when I think about my swimming and my, my career realistically, obviously all of us struggle with viewing our experiences emotionally versus realistically. And I think that I've always had the tendency to compare myself to my competitors. And when I stepped up to the blocks 
at the 2016 Olympic trials, I looked around and I said, this person's made an Olympic team once this person trains better than me. This person's made the Olympic team three times in this event. And I told myself, you can probably do it, but the chances that you're going to beat these people is pretty low considering their resume, you know? But I look back at it now, and that's a huge part of the reason that I wasn't able to swim at my best during that meet. And so moving forward this year, something that I'm going to have to focus on is sticking to what I know and sticking to my plan and being confident in what I have done and not spending my energy looking around. That's something that since 2016 and that meet specifically, um, I have learned to do. I think that was a huge part of the reason that I was successful in my NCAA career was my ability to put the blinders on. And there were races where I didn't do that. And those are the ones that I can pinpoint specifically that I did not have my best race because I was not focused on what I was able to do. I was focused on what everyone around me was doing. And I think that having the experience where I was putting my competitors on a pedestal and lowering myself, I now recognize that that's detrimental to my best performances and is something that I'm going to be working on this year um, leading up to Olympic trials in 2020. That's great. I I think, so what you're describing is sort of a different mindset. And what you've said is when you've succeeded, you put on blinders. So you, so are you, you know, would your advice to listeners be to just not think about what your competitors are doing or how, you know, t- tell me how you're working on your mindset. How exactly are you Are you getting away from that? Yeah. So I think there's a fine balance between using your competitors to learn and using your competitors to compare yourself. I get to train every single day with two of the best swimmers in the entire world in the history of swimming. And I am nowhere near their level of success, but also their specifically my freestyle capabilities compared to theirs. I'm swimming with the world record holder, Katie Ledecky, and I'm swimming with multiple gold medalists, Simone Manuel. And I have so many areas to improve and swimming with people that have a different skill set than I do is, is helping me get better um, in those areas. And I think that it's important to use the people that are stronger than you in certain ways to your advantage to chase. I think there's nothing better than having someone to go after to having somebody that can push you and challenge you. And I am able to use them as a marker for my improvement, but that doesn't necessarily mean that my improvement is limited to the distance between us. If I'm continuing to improve and they're continuing to improve, I'm still improving. And that's something that I have had to learn something that I'm going to continue to have to remind myself throughout this year. But I think when it comes to standing behind the blocks and putting your best foot forward in a race, you need to turn the blinders on and know that 
your best performance is going to come out of your best race plan that you've put together with, with your coach, because it's specifically designed for you to be successful the way that you've trained. If you're focusing on someone else's race plan and trying to mimic their race to go, to go a little bit faster, it's most likely not going to bring the results that you desire because someone else's race plan is designed for them and your race plan is designed for you. And that's something that I've had to experiment with um, throughout the last couple of years. And I think there's real value in learning the difference between comparing yourself and and using others to learn and to continue to grow. That is a great, great piece of uh, of observation and advice right there. I love it. So one of the things that we would love to know, a champion like you, Ella, what routines or rituals do you have that you think make you successful? And that can be in practice or at a meet or what, what things do you consistently do that you think help you? I think one thing that has always helped me stay in a routine at meets is staying consistent with my warm up and warm down. And I think that some people may laugh at the fact that that's kind of my ritual. Um, I think some people have other things that they do that is that's based more on maybe superstition or what they think gets them in the right mindset. But I think that having a routine is extremely important for me to feel like every time I'm at a meet, it's just another meet. I have slightly different warmups um, depending on the time of the season, but doing something over and over and over again and doing it at a meet where there's higher stakes or different competitors or um, whatever the difference may be makes me feel comfortable because I, I feel the consistency in what I'm doing. Um, it's one less thing that I have to worry about being different. When you travel internationally, there's different obstacles that you may face when you get to a swim meet, depending on the logistics, depending on how early you have to be in the ready room, depending on the food situation there. There are a lot of different variables that may come your way and a lot of things that are unexpected that may happen. And having a routine that I can stick to and rely on is something that gives me great comfort. Um, I'm a very regimented person and I thrive in environments where there's a schedule and consistency. And so having certain things at me, it's like, like a warm up that's exactly the same every time is something that, that gives a person like me, great comfort. Great, great answer. That, that is a great answer. Yeah. What characteristics do you think champions share? What make what makes a champion? What qualities or characteristics make a champion? I think that all champions have the ability to continue to do everything that they're supposed to even when times are hard and even when they may not want to. Mm. I think we are human and we go through periods in our life where our motivation or our energy or our 
love maybe for what we're doing um, changes or decreases or isn't at its peak, um, that's normal. And I think it's important that we have uh, different emotional experiences because if we didn't have the lows, we also wouldn't have the highs and be able to experience those and to feel them with joy. But I think that being able to be steadfast in a routine and, and being disciplined in times where you may not want to, I think those are being able to stick to that while you are struggling or while you may not have the desire to go and do that three hours of workout that day. That's what makes a champion. And I think that applies to any area of life. It's no matter what your passion is, um, being able to be relentless in the pursuit of what you dream of, no matter what your mind may tell you, I think that's a really, a really good characteristic to have. Um, and I think that goes along with being aware and having perspective and then, and again, back to the delayed gratification, um, knowing that what you do today may not show their results right away, but in the long run are going to pay off. Hmm. I love the delayed gratification, which is just another word for patience. So definitely, yeah, that's great. I think champions definitely need to have patience. Ella, that is all of the tough questions. And now we're going to do the quick, fun sprinter round. Even though you're not a sprinter, even though you can sprint, you ready to do these quick questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Cat or dog? Cat. Red or blue? Red. Go Stanford. I know. <laughs> Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Dark chocolate. Hmm. Kickboard or no kickboard? No kickboard. Mountains or beach? Beach. Football or baseball? Football. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Morning person or night owl? Both. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I like okay. how quick that came. Yeah. <laughs> Fingernail polish or no fingernail polish? Fingernail polish. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay, it's my turn. Uh, okay, Ella, favorite book? The Bible. Okay, great. Great answer. Favorite movie? The Blind Side. Ooh, nice. Favorite vegetable? Broccoli. Mm. Favorite swim complex that you've swum in in the United States? Belmont Aquatic Center in Southern California. Okay, something on your pre-race playlist. I actually don't listen to music anymore before I race. Hmm. What do you do? Just... I soak in the atmosphere and talk to my friends and try to stay present. That's great. What's your shoe size? Nine. Any siblings? One younger sister, Emily Easton. Your favorite Star Wars character? I never watch Star Wars and people are mad at me for that. <laughs> Chewbacca, though, I guess. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I love Chewy, too. Uh, every, yeah, that's a popular one. Uh, can you cook? I am learning to now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good. Okay, what word comes to mind most when you dive in the water? Solitude. Oh, oh nice. that's a great one. That is a great one. Well, Ella... Thank you so much. It's gone so fast, but it's really been an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for your time and your beautiful stories. 
Yes. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm glad we got to talk and I'm really, really excited to hear how this comes out. And I know I am a talker, so I, I apologize if I went on too long. No, we loved everything you had to say. What a great interview with Ella. Isn't she just amazing? Yes, she really is. I, I was in, so inspired by her stories and her descriptions and and her joie de vivre, just her love of 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 life and swimming and her insightfulness. She was she she was a terrific guest. Yes, very insightful. So do you have a couple of takeaways that you want to share, Maria? Um yeah. I, I I guess what one of the things that just I guess broke my heart really <laughs> was the description of her heart hurting after that incredible moment where she touched second and her her teammate, you know, said I'm passing the baton and then she looked up and, you know, she didn't know why she but she was DQ'd and, and just just that that you know, that's I don't know if that's a, that's not a lesson learned so much as just a reminder that, you know, we all experience pain. And I mean, not just physical pain, but emotional pain where, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we don't deserve something that happens to us and it hurts. But uh, she lived the pain. She She entered in and then she moved on from it and learned from it. So that was... Uh, very evocative for me the way she described it and i yes. loved uh, and i loved the you know she talks about the highs and the lows that and you need both in your life and you're going to experience both in your life so that was one sort of takeaway and then i i just i just was i loved her champion's steadfastness just yeah you know some days you're not going to like what you do you know some days it's going to be hard um and and champions just keep on doing it they're relentless in the pursuit of their goals. So that was a that was a great takeaway for for me. What about you, Kelly? I really loved her saying about de- delayed gratification. So mm-hmm. that she she said she knows that everything she's put into swimming will pay off at some point, and mm. not just you know maybe. Maybe with an Olympic team and an Olympic gold or an Olympic medal, maybe with none of that, you know, that but that she knows that it's going to pay off. And I, I just think that's so wise and so mature. And that's exactly, you know, how life is that, you know, you may not get what you exactly want, but you do when you put in work, you get something else. So I love, you know, yeah, her patience. That's I mean, true. the whole theme of the show mm-hmm. is patience. And I think. Just her Mm -hmm. knowing that she had delayed, you know, delayed gratification, that something great was going to come out of all this hard work that she was putting in. I also liked that at the beginning of the show when she talked about balance, you know, that that there's Mm -hmm. so much more Mm -hmm. to Ella Easton than just swimming up and down the pool really fast. You know, that she's got this she's an amazing student. She's graduated from Stanford as a great student. She's got this great career that she's very passionate about. So she's. You know, it takes a lot of the pressure off her, I think, to, you know, hey, great. She does these goals that she wants in swimming. That's great. Um, and if she doesn't, she's she's certainly got a lot out there that she can rely on. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's absolutely that was that was a great lesson. You can't you know, she 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 has she has something else in her life other than swimming, although she seems very passionate about swimming. So that's wonderful. And I liked, you know, the, the, the whole 
concept of calling, you know, her disappointments in the DQ and getting mono speed bumps, you know, is, those were things that helped her to, to slow down, to, you know, to, to think about things differently. You know, and a lot of people might be, and she even admitted I was bitter for a bit, but then she decided to look at it like a champion <laughs> as, you know, you know, what, what, what good could come out of this? Yes. Yes. Well, my action item coming out of this for me, and if anybody likes to share action items with us, I'm definitely going to take that one that the goals that I have for different projects and things that I'm doing in life, you know, they may not turn out exactly as the goal that I want to hit, but I know that some moment or moments will come out of all the hard work that I'm doing on things and that I trust in that. So I, I just love that. And that's the one I'm going to, I'm going to take. Yeah. I think, I think that's a good one. And I think I'm going to actually take that one too. You know, and I think about the projects that I'm working on um, and it can be discouraging if you're working on something for a long time and you don't necessarily see the results that you want, but that's this concept that she taught us or talked about that, you know, you're pouring good stuff into a cup and what, you know, you may not get what it is that you, you know, you've envisioned, but you're, it's bound to be something good. So I think my action item will also be to think severe and be patient and keep doing the good stuff and remind myself that, you know, who knows what's going to come out of it, but it's going to be good if I put good intention and good heart into it. And Maria, I knew, I know you so well, I was going to say, Maria, I know you're going to share this action item with me because we both I know understand this one. <laughs> it, this is this one. And especially on something that you're working really right. hard on right. for a long time. And that's, that's a lot how swimming is. And that's how yes. big goals often take long time, a long time. So I think, you know, you and I both have big projects that we been working on for a long time and we've and, and we've shared that we've been disappointed occasionally that are that we're not getting right yeah, the results it, that we want as soon as we want them right but like you yeah. said something great will happen well that is awesome another show in the books and we so appreciate everyone listening you can find us at championsmojo.com so thank you so much yes thanks for listening we really appreciate it would love to hear your comments love you kelly love you too maria right. thanks so much okay bye-bye bye this week's quote of the week comes from Ella Easton. Know that what you do today may not show results right away, but in the long run, it is going to pay off. We are so grateful that you spent this time with us today, and we hope that you heard something that inspired, motivated, and educated you. Signing off for myself and my champion co-host, Maria Parker, we hope you'll join us again soon, and we know you can be a champion. Thank you for listening, and please see below... For a copy of the show notes, for any links or important information that we've referenced here. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast, designed to make you feel inspired, motivated, and educated. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Also, visit championsmojo.com to learn more.